Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. In today's episode, Bruno Reagan joins me as we talk about Vanderbilt spring football and talk about what we saw in the spring game. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. The Commodores have a three-game weekend series with Mississippi State, all three at Hawkins Field. Game times, seven Friday, seven Saturday, and one Sunday, all those times are central. Bruno appears on the guest line. That's presented by our friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. You have heard me rave about Bowling Branch sheets for years. They're the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. I wouldn't even think of trying other sheets now that I've done that. They're 100% organic cotton. They are rain-fed. It's hard to put into words how comfortable sheets can be. You just have to try them. They get more comfortable with every washing. I can promise you, this is one of those things that you're going to try, you're going to love, you're going to thank me for it later. But if for some reason you don't like those sheets, you can get money back after 30 days. You can also get $50 off your first set of sheets. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L. Drop the promo code Vandy. That way they know you got that from this podcast Give the sheets a try, help out the people who help our podcast, and do yourself a favor in the meantime. Bruno Reagan joins us today. Our man Seabass might join us. He was supposed to join us. Uh, I've not heard from him at this time, so we may have a drop-in from him later. But either way, you and I will talk football. We've got a lot to talk about, starting with a not-so-good news item with Donovan Kaufman, Bruno. Oh, yeah. Well, it's one of those things, too, where I've been, I guess you could say I've been sunshine sunshine pumping a bit in the spring with most of my comments. And for good reason, too. From what I saw in practices, it was going really well. From what I heard from players, it was going better. But, I mean, for some guys, especially for a guy like Kaufman, it's – um. Sometimes it's just not enough. Like maybe, like I'm sure he probably had these these ideas even back when uh, Mace was originally fired, and maybe he just wanted to give the staff a chance. Maybe some coaches reached out to him, which is obvious tampering. I know, but it happens, right? This is no high level football. No, (laughs) but this is high level football, so it is what it is. And I guess he probably just, you know. He probably just wanted to stick for a string, see what was up, and I don't think it's anything like you know kicked off the team or this is a hidden I think it's just a I think it's just one of those things where I think he's the grass is greener on the other side and uh we can we can expand more on what that means right but um yeah I think he just didn't um he just probably didn't think his place was at Vanderbilt I think that last year was rough on anybody I think that any football player at any school to some degree did not have an ideal experience but I just think that the thing and there's some people that are resistant to this and you hear the, oh, well, if he's not happy here, we don't want him kind of thing. But it's just still difficult for players in a lot of ways there, it seems to me. Yeah, and we can expand on that a bit too because, like, it's one of those things where you can – you can change what you can change and it because everyone always hears like oh they're not getting the support they're not getting the support and we're just like what does that mean, right? And I think you and I talked about it a bit 
and it's just the little things. It's the little things like, of course, the prior registration, the parking, it, the professors at Vanderbilt. I mean, we've heard different stories of players, you know, having to sit out, getting kicked out of school for, you know, some minor academic issues. I mean, extremely minor stuff that wouldn't happen. And there are guys that have transferred from Vanderbilt that will probably talk, you know, talk to their boys and they're telling them, you know, what it's like at other places. And I mean, it just feels like at Vanderbilt, like the school is just kind of out to get you sometimes. Um like I, I told you a story about how, you know, early on in my career, I had an academic counselor. It just seemed like she just wanted to like, like she, it seemed like she thought her job was to just get got play gotcha with us and always try and always try and be on top of us and always try and be on top of us. And I don't mind it when the football coaches do that. Right. That's like, but when every single person in your life seemingly in your like 400 yard bubble just seems like it's out to get you it just wears a lot on you oh that person didn't last very long with the department or anything and you know i had a good there are some the academic counselors there are also the reasons that some of those kids graduate when they probably shouldn't have right i mean they go above and beyond for the students but it just seems like there are some people there that just make it their their sole purpose to get in the way i mean i told you the story about my about like five of our cars getting towed off georgia some employee some employee at mcgugan called called like the towing company right when our bus left just just for whatever reason it's just the little things like that that i'm sure just leave bad taste in people's mouth and i'm not even saying that's the case with kaufman but i mean when you hear what's going on at a place like uh like for example we know he's close with coach mace right like when coach mace is probably like hey this auburn stuff is uh probably you know a lot better the football's a lot higher level you know why why are you still there right and then good players like Coffin's probably like, yeah, what am I doing? You know? And he gave coach Lee a chance, saw what they saw in the spring. And I've said, I've said my piece, Chris, but are these they're improved, right? I think it's, I think it's an improved culture. I think it's an improved team. Are they going to win a lot of games? You know, honestly, not really. They're probably like, I've, I've even said from the start, the goal is probably three or four wins. Yeah. Anything I, I think this is a, a longer rebuild. I, I think that, there's a lot of things I like about Clark, but we'll get into some stuff. And in I just the roster I saw at the spring game, I don't think is ready to step up and go to a bowl. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I did want to ask you one more thing. Summer school is yep. still an issue there. It seems. Explain that one to people. Yeah, summer school, and so Vanderbilt has this thing called the internship program. Well, the thing with Vanderbilt is it is a hard school, right? At least for a guy like me, it was a hard school. I was like, dang man, this place is hard. But one of the reasons why I wasn't why a guy like me was able to avoid academic probation maybe on sometimes was because I got some classes in summer school. It was a lot easier to focus on, you know, three hours, a three hour class for a month, like, like Spanish two for Spanish one kicked my butt. I'm Hispanic. I took Spanish four years in high school. Somehow Spanish one just kicked my butt. I take Spanish two in the summer and it's not like it was any easier, but it was just the classes were like three hours and we had a lot of time to work on it. And then, um, you know, I get a good grade. But the thing is, it seems like at least back then, I don't know how it is now, but back then it seemed like summer school was to be avoided because the school has to pay for it. So what they would do is they found this nice little workaround where they'll, they'll, they had the internship program and through this internship program that they got cleared with the NCAA, um, they uh, get to pay for housing. So the athletes get to be on campus and train. And then instead of paying for a summer school class, you know, the students just work an unpaid internship, which is good. Some of those internships are, you know, really, really valuable. Some of them aren't like anything else, but that's Vanderbilt's way of working or working around the summer. So where I wish I probably would have had more summer school classes, that's just not an option sometimes. Like if you have, unless you're like, unless you're uh 
unless your class conflicts with the schedule in the fall and they can get in the summer or it's a it's a unique case like that or you're or you're failing a class and you need to retake it you're typically not going to get a summer school class whereas at other schools you know they'll let you get ahead like that i remember one of the selling points at vanderbilt was you can get your degree in like three and a half years using the summer school program and then um and then, like, once you come to your senior year or your redshirt year, you could get a master's all, you know, paid for, right? That just wasn't the case coming into my first two years. And then by the time I was – by that time, I knew I wasn't getting a grad degree, so I just stopped even thinking about it, right? It was just a struggle. It was just a grind struggle to get my bachelor's and, and be done with that. But um, that's sort of how Vanderbilt has handled that whole thing. And it's not like it's a, it's not like it's a secret either. That's just how they do the summers. Let's switch to football. What'd you see at the spring game? Uh, the defense got absolutely waxed. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where it's that it's my first, I guess, gotcha moment where I talked up the defense. I mean, at the second scrimmage, they looked real. At the first scrimmage, they gave up a lot of big runs, but their coverage was much improved and their open field tackling was much improved. Right? It was just some misfits that caused like Jadavion Marlowe to have a really good first spring first spring game practice or whatever where he had over a little bit of 200 yards and davis also popped out he shined really well offensive line blocked really well it was one of those things but it's hard to judge because that's so early in the spring that you know they're at such base formation stuff it's not like it's not like it's the whole deal right and the second spring game the defense was just waxing them i mean they had they did the same scoring as they did at the spring game the sec at the second spring scrimmage and the defense the defense outright beat them uh they played extremely well they were kept getting home to the quarterback they stuffed the run. I don't remember any big runs off the top of my head from the second spring game. It was just all defensive control, and I thought we were going to see that more in the third scrimmage. And then third scrimmage comes, Mike White and Ken Seals go, go off. Shepard has an amazing game. I mean, they're just running the ball down the defense throw. It looks like the defense had less people out there than they usually did. Um, it just looked atrocious. It looked like the defense we were used to. I'm, and even, I even saw, obviously, you and I were in the booth. We saw Coach Lee get into the defense a little bit. And they were pretty uh, – you could tell that he wanted to see more out of them, and they, they didn't get that there at their spring game. No, they didn't. Uh, but I want to know from you, because all most of us saw was that game, and it's hard to get that image out of your brain once you see it of how much the offense dominated. Give me the things and the people on the defensive side that you were encouraged with where you got to see where the rest of us didn't. Yeah, so I was really encouraged with the D-line play this year. Obviously, it was tough without the numbers, but I thought the D-line play was a lot better. They weren't just getting absolutely smashed off the ball. Most of the big runs came from misfits from the linebacker position, something that they struggled with for a while. I mean, you saw it. We were talking We were talking about some guys who looked out of position on the inside linebacker position, and then the second you pointed it out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, and then they misfit the hole. Ball hits out the edge on the outside zone. I mean, it's an easy, like, 20, 30-yard run. So those are the things we saw. But other than that, the D-line, I thought played extremely well. Um, the pass rush got home a lot this spring. It got home a lot, and they were doing a lot of cool things with their anchor position. I was trying to explain on to the board, but it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain without a board, honestly, to write on. But what they would do with the anchor is they would mess, they would mix up coverages, right? So the anchor would line up outside. They would keep the inside linebacker outside of the tight end on the edge of the line, on the flat, and then the tight end or the the inside linebacker would bail off of the flat into the coverage, go underneath the route while the star would go over the top into like more of a safety zone 
And that, those kind of coverages are the ones that create interceptions because it's underneath. It basically plays on the quarterback's eyes so they won't see the guy and then, you know, ends up being a pick. Those, that, those kind of coverages, are, that was really good to see. It's not just going to be base, you know, 10 yards off the ball, let them catch it and try and, you know, bend on break style. I mean, it, it seemed like a pretty aggressive style of, um, of coverage. So that was, that was good. Um, but other than that, I think that that's kind of like the top of what the defense showed this spring. Do you think they've got enough at the linebacking core? I mean, no. who are, who are the guys there? They're going to help them. Cause I just, boy, I didn't see a lot. His name's Ethan Barr, right? I think people are still pretty high on Ethan is he played a little bit as a freshman last year. Um, let me make sure I'm getting his name right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, he he. I thought I remember specifically at the first scrimmage I watched, he played extremely well. Um, he's going to be a guy that they look to to be a solid player. And from what you know, the rumblings I hear, like when he first started out, it was like, oh, this guy, you know, can play and work up to it, work up to it. But all of a sudden, you know, you go out there and play, and you're one of the most promising players. It could be one of those things where he doesn't, you know, flash in practice, he doesn't flash in the weight room, but the dude can just flat out play and make tackles, right? So he was he was a guy who. He fits that natural linebacker mold. And it's kind of that old school mold. It's not like, you know, that RPO defense linebacker that everyone's going for that, that like that Zach Cunningham, right? He's more of an old school type guy, but he's got the size for it. He's like six, three, six, four, you know, built like 240, 250. He's, he just looks like he's built. Like he looks like he belongs out there at the inside linebacker position. Whereas some of those guys, you know, obviously don't, don't seem like they do. He just seems like he has the natural style of play. He reads guards that pull. He knows how to fit the run. He sees the zone. He immediately breaks on the zone. He sees the RPO. He covers a bit. And then, you know, he waits for the handoff. Once he sees that handoff, then he goes and attacks the line. It's those kind of just those kind of fundamentals that have carried Ethan throughout the it's been very impressive. Who else do you think can give them a boost this year? I mean, wherever you want to go, whether it's a particular defensive lineman who stood out, uh, d- defensive backs. I just was watching that game and struggling to find a lot of bright spots on that side. Well, we have to talk about Will Shepard, who had a good pass. Yeah, yeah. No, I, offensively, kind of, yes, yeah. for sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're still wanting to go on the defensive side? Talking. Yeah, about- let's, go, let's go defense, and then we'll flip to offense in a minute. Yeah, well... I mean, you saw you saw what I saw. So it was very low depth. Very, um, it was just a tough day for the defense. But one guy that I did see that played really well was uh, Davion Davis. He he was getting off the ball super early in the in the in the spring season, which I kind of I when I I remember to write about it was a little bit attributed to maybe you know limited snap counts. So he was having more success. I remember a guy by the name of Nephi that I'm sure everyone here remembers was big at doing that when I played center. He would pop off the ball, pop off the ball. You know, he knew the snap count, and it's just one of those things where it's probably not the best thing to practice. But if you know the snap count, why wouldn't you do it, right? But as we went on into this into the spring season, it looked like he was playing very well. I mean, he was getting off the ball, creating chaos in the backfield. That's what creates tackles for loss. Um, and if it's not tackles for loss, that's what usually lets the linebackers fit the gaps a lot better. So he played very well on the defensive back position. Um, I really didn't see much this season from an individual, you know, but typically you don't want, you know, you don't want to know the names of the defensive linemen. That's like knowing the name of the offensive lineman who didn't, who did, who underperformed. And there are a few of those, even as good as the O-line played this season. So I would say Ethan and Davion were, were the top two guys that probably stuck out to me in this spring from the defensive standpoint. 
Um, on the pass rush, it wasn't a single pass rusher. You know, I know a lot of guys have been looking for a guy like Elijah McAllister to maybe, you know, take over type deal. But most of the most of the sacks that I saw were, you know, were products of the scheme, per se. Uh, obviously, players make the plays go. But it was just things like maybe the offensive line could have picked up that it was just too early as a unit that they didn't pick it up. And that's why a lot of those things were hitting. This season of the podcast made possible by former Commodore Jody Jones, DDS. Of course, he played on the football team back in the 90s. Jody, a big Commodore booster to this day, and he is a guy who helped us get off the ground for a sixth season. Jody is trusted for his creative design. He's committed to the function and aesthetics of your smile. His office is at 55 Music Square East. Anyway, Jody has earned the title of number one cosmetic dentist in Nashville, He serves movie stars, music stars, athletes, all kinds of people. They all come to him for his famous Hollywood smile. Be sure to drop in, see Jody, see why he does the best work in Nashville, and tell him you appreciate his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, offense, you started one place where I would have started for sure. Will Shepard really showed out in that game. I mean, yeah, he had he had what would have been a Sports Center top ten catch for a week. He, you know, hopped over the defense back. I mean, it's it was greatly defend it was well defended by the DB. It's just one of those plays where it's something that you crave being a offensive player at Vanderbilt. You're like, man, you see all these highlights and you're just like, man, you know, why can't why can't that happen to us sometimes from the fifty? And Will Shepard went up and made a statement, all right? Because I hadn't seen that I saw one very good catch from Ken to him in the first spring game. But other than that, you know, it was just one of those things where he was kind of over overshadowed, quote unquote. But Amir had Amir has been playing really well in the past few seasons. Cam Johnson's obviously one of the most elusive guys that's played for Vanderbilt in recent years. Chris Pierce burst onto the scene last year as the side. So Will Shepard just adding his name to the mix with this huge spring game is just another positive. Another thing we can talk about is the tight end position. I mean, it is deep and it is very, very well talented. They trust. La Monica, they trust Schoenwell, they trust DeCursey, they trust Ball. You know, these are all guys who have gotten first team reps along with Bresnahan, who is the clear leader. You know, he fits the mold. He pass block, he run blocks real well. They don't, they don't mind him being in there. And then when he spreads out to the, spreads out to the slot or to the wide out, he's a mismatch, right? But they trust, the, I mean, when these other guys come in, they expect them to do Ben's job as well as Ben does it. And they've all they've all performed very, very well. I remember one of the runs sprang on the first spring game by DeCourcy. He sprang one of those huge runs, and they were all getting pumped up for him. So the tight end position might have not gotten the love that they needed to from, you know, the initial view, but they are a deep and a solid position group all the way around. Every single tight end on the roster right now is probably going to play this season. The Shepard play, you saw me. I was sitting in the box with binoculars. He made a tremendous play. The defensive back kind of had position on him. He just reached in front of the guy's face, reached over him, got the ball, and came down with it and scored. That's one of the, like you said, one of the best catches I've seen in a while and, and not not something you expect out of a lot of receivers. That, that was just like a plus athletic move. I, I thought that was a tremendous play. But, yeah, you're right. The tight ends, we know Bresnahan's going to have a role, but they really seem to like Gavin Schoenwald, too. He caught several balls and did some things with them, too. Yeah, Gavin's, I mean, the other senior, he's like the unspoken hero. The guy's been solid all, you know, all of his years, and they're going to have a role for him, too. I mean, obviously, um, you're, tight end's going to be a huge position in this offense. Um, they're running, they've been running a lot of 21, 11 personnel. You know, there's always a tight end, and if they get to the short yard, there's going to be two tight ends in. 
or they're going to play that quote unquote H position too, where they motion them around the backfield to be a tight end as an extra backfield guy. So they're going to need solid guys. And uh, Sean Wall is a guy that they, you know, they feel smart enough to take on the challenge, you know, and it's not, he's been in the, he's been in the, he's been in the game a while. He's a senior. So, you know, no better guy to go in there and be, I'm not going to say he's number two, but he's going to be in the rotation as a playing tight end. The offensive line, I've said this many times, one of the pluses from last year was that with the guys sitting out and then coming back, you get a chance to play some different players and see what they can do. And so when you come back together as a unit for 2021, you've got a lot of guys with experience. We saw Kiva Wesley at center. He was not one of the guys who played a year ago. And I thought what was really interesting is they moved Tyler Steen inside from left tackle to left guard, and they had Clemens playing left tackle. What did you think of that move? What did you think of the offensive line? And maybe I want to get your thoughts on the depth they've got there, too, if you think they've got enough quality bodies. Well, I think it's no secret that they, and I don't, I don't mind saying this, that from my observations, their move, when that move was created out of a move to try and find a spot for Steen and not so they trust Clemens enough to, enough to move him every, they want Clemens, they think Clemens is solid enough that they're going to move him around because they're comfortable with him playing any position. They think he's one of the best five, right? The, and which is unique too, because he wasn't here last season. There wasn't, but he showed enough to where, you know, obviously they think he's going to be a leader and he's going to, he's going to play. So they're going to move Clemens to wherever they can to help work out the rest of the line. I mean, Ashmore is also a staple. That's a guy that's going to, he's going to be out there. Birchmeyer at the right guard. So Ashmore and Birchmeyer, they're holding down the right side. Now it's a, now the, the rest of the line from middle to left is, is the, is the question mark, right? Cause I mean, it's a, that's nothing against Kivo. He disappeared during the second scrimmage and then he comes back for the third one and he was starting again. But I was also impressed with Julian Hernandez, who was the backup center. So they've been kind of competing for that spot. And that that's that competition is going to go all the way to fall camp. I guarantee you, you know, Julian's just been playing too well. That's not even against something against Kivo. Like when Julian's playing well, I mean, it's going to be a competition all the way through. And Julian's a factor in, you know, looking for the future at left. Baps is also there. I mean, I know they they want to they're, they're just going to try their best to find the best five right now. Steen struggled this spring. That's no secret. I mean, he he got two or three penalties in the spring game. He was missing a few pass options, you know, at the beginning of spring. Um, he's been struggling and he, he's a prototype, like a lot of co uh, the, the past staff likes him. And you can tell this staff likes him too. Cause he's out there with the first team. That means they want him to perform, but I think, uh, that move to guard, that's kind of a, that's kind of where it's like, you know, okay, things aren't working out. So let's try this and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you know, they're probably going to go to other options. So Clemens at left tackle could be the long-term deal, or they could move Babs in there to tackle and they could move Clemens back inside. And then, you know, we could see a Babs, Clemens, Kivo, um, Birch, that, um, Ashmore, Ashmore line. So that's, there's going to be some movement on the left side of the line. It seems like middle to right side is pretty solid for them right now. And uh, Cole Clemens is going to have his spot in there, but that's what the offensive line is looking like right now. Dan Dawkins was injured most of the spring, but even then I think they, I think they found their, the guys they like as quote unquote, the starters. And you're going to want to establish that as early as possible in camp because you want to, you want to build that synergy for these guys. I'm sure you watched Wesley having played some center, knowing that that's where the calls a lot of times come from. And mm -hmm. that can be a tough position to play. Of course, Grant Miller was the one rock they had last year. He's at Baylor now. What did you think of the way he handled his responsibilities in the spring game? I thought he did very well. Um, even before then, um, I mean, I said there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of issues with the pass blocking, and most of the time that I 
from what I can tell, it looks like they want uh, Ken to handle some stuff, but they give the center some other things like the ID, which is usually when you when the center handles the ID, especially in mixed up looks, that's the basis for the whole blocking scheme. So whoever Kivo IDs, there's a set of rules that the O-line follows to find who they block and the running back also in protection. And there were some issues early with pass blocking that I think might have came down to things like the ID or stuff like that, or maybe it was just one guy or another. It's You have to be in the film room to see these kind of mistakes pop off. But Kivo seemed to handle it really well in the spring game. I mean, obviously the offense dominated, right? And there was a lot less uh, pressure on the quarterback this spring game. I think I remember only one sack, and it was off the court. It was off the one quote-unquote sack, and it was off of the push off that Shepard had. It was that touchdown on the left corner. So Kivo played really, well, especially being out the second spring game. You know, he was out. I who knows where he was, but he came back, seemed to be doing a lot better. He's a young cat. But it's always good to just get it out of the way when you're young, too, because, I mean, if you're going to get step into a place like Notre Dame where you can't hear a person five feet in front of you and you got to make calls, best get those nerves out of the way and get those mistakes out of the way young, early, and in spring. So you can bet that if there was a if there were some gambling odds on Kivo starting over Julian, it's probably like 80-20 because if they're starting him in the spring, they want him to start in the fall. I mean, it would take it would just basically take a collapse for Wesley and a big surge from Hernandez to take that spot when they always say, Chris, like there's no ones and there's no twos. But it's clear like they have Kivo out there because they want him to be the guy. Right. So unless it starts going bad, which it hasn't yet. I mean, it's been actually really well. He'll be he'll have that position. And then it's up to Hernandez to keep fighting for a spot on that line. OK, I know that the quarterback play was much talked about. And mm-hmm. you know, there, there was some. Hey, is Mike Wright going to challenge him? Yeah, yeah. I, and and I guess that always comes. I, I don't. I think Ken is too much in control of the offense and too established. I mean, I say that it's a new staff. Maybe they see things differently. I, I can't see Ken losing the job, but I will say this: Mike Wright has really taken some big strides since a year ago. Yeah, and it, and it. And it sucks for Mike because I'm in the camp that thinks Ken, you know, Ken, it's kind of Ken's job to lose, right? And from what I saw in the entirety of the spring, you know, the four practices I went to and the three games, it looks like Ken, man, did exactly what he was supposed to do. Exactly. He never made any mistakes on his throw. Well, I'm not going to say any. He probably was probably, you know, a little thing here or there, but it's not like, you know, he throw he misses a read and throws it right to the right to the other team. He would always throw it out when he needed to. He would run when he needed to. He would check his reads when he needed to, kept his eyes downfield, you know, trusted the O-line. It looked like he did everything right. Um, they're going to expand stuff, stuff, some stuff in the fall, too. That's going to be a key thing where it comes to, you know, some some more things like the gap. Because they had – I think they tried one power this spring, and they had a miss handoff. And I can't even remember if that was Mike or, Mike or Ken in for the first one. Then they kind of just scrapped it. But – I'm on the from everything I saw, it looks like even as big of a game as Mike had, they're going to look for consistency. If you look back on my earlier write ups, I was, you know, a little critical on Mike because whenever they, he would go out to pass or whenever he rolled out, I mean, it happened four times in a row at the first spring game I saw. He would go to pass, immediately run, go to pass, immediately run, go to pass, immediately run. I mean, it was, and that's just not. It's good. It's great for playmaking. It's good to keep the defense on their toes, but it's not a sustainable, a sustainable area of success at the level that they play at. Um, and if, if, if it's one of those things where if Ken or the offense just looks hopeless, they might throw Mike in there at a game just to see, you know, if there's a spark, right? That is an option. That is 100% an option. And if he does have that spark, then he'll be the starter. That's how some things go. But 
this team is most likely going to have Ken be their starter and Mike's going to be the backup. I don't think they're going to move him either, even though even if they keep him the backup. I don't think that's an option because you want a good, solid backup quarterback just in case if anything ever happens to your guy, right? But, yeah, I know Mike had a great spring game, but, you know, you need way more than one game to be the starting quarterback. You need to you need to you need to be consistent all the time. And that's nothing against Mike. But Ken has done that. You know, the thing with Mike that was interesting. Last year, it just seemed like the speed didn't always translate. I don't know if that's just being preoccupied with reading defenses and all the pre-snap stuff you've got to do or you know, not being comfortable being out there for the first time or nerves, but it just seemed like for whatever reason, his speed translated way more in the spring game than we saw last year. I don't know how to make well, sense last, of that. Last year, he was, he was, a, they, he was the red zone guy because right. whenever Ken, whenever Ken and his guy went down there, whenever Ken and the unit went down there, I mean, they were just, they just could not, they just did not have a red zone offense. I, it was pretty <laughs> unexplainable how like, how they would march the offense last season would, you know, they would be efficient. Then they hit the red zone. It was just a dud total night and day from a team like the 17 or 16 teams where the red zone efficiency was through the roof. We couldn't move the ball, but once we got to the red zone, we scored. Now this team could move the ball, but once they got to the red zone, they had no idea what to do. Right. And then Mike would come in and I guess it was just an entirely different look and they would find a way into the end zone, you know, whether it would just be a zone read pool or one of those things. So I think that he was just playing into his role at that point. And now that his role is to be, you know, just a, you know, you, with this unit, you're the guy and he just feels more open to making plays how he sees fit. And maybe that's what the coaching staff's telling him to do. Maybe they're telling him, Hey, you see someone on your feet, go get it. I wouldn't imagine it, but it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility either. The thing, and I watched it, I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of a nice situation where they can have Ken Seals to go most of the field and then in special packages to, to bring a mic right in for all the reasons that you could potentially see. But we also some of that saw some of that last year, and sometimes it takes an offense out of a rhythm. So as much as I watched it and said, hey, maybe that's kind of an option for them, I don't know that I'm all for it because I think sometimes if something's working and you switch things around, sometimes that kills your momentum. So I you have know, real mixed feelings about uh, using him situationally next year. Do you know what game? I, do you know what game I think about when you say that? I Was wanna, it the Kentucky wanna... game or? I think was that no, the game I'm talk, where they? I'm talking, about, I'm talking about from my years. Oh, you know what? Oh, you know what game well, pops of into course, mind? the South Carolina game. The <laughs> <opener>. <laughs> you yeah. know it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm surprised you you can name it off just like that, man. No, it, but down, it was but it was glaring, go, right? Yeah. yeah, we go we go down, we score. I remember because it was three people on the offensive rotation, and me and Kyle were one of them, and they were like, "Hey, if you're hot, you guys are gonna go. If not, we're gonna switch." And um, we go down there and score. We're on the sideline. We're pumped, and they come up to me and Kyle, and they tell us. Hey, you two are out. Uh, this different offensive lineman and Wade are going in. And we're like, we just look at each other. And, you know, we're we're supposed to be soldiers. So we're supposed to, you know, just go with go with it. And yes, sir. But we just both look at each other and we're like, no effing way, man. Like, and then they get and then they go three and out. And then we, you know, it's like, all right, go back and save us. Right. But um, then by that time, the momentum's already off the table. But anyways, I would I always. And the type of guy you need to find a way to find one quarterback work, right? I mean, we played Notre Dame when they were they they still didn't know what they were doing at quarterback, I believe. And then Ian Book, you know, Ian Book finally you know solidified himself. And after that, the offense was nine day for them. That's what these they need to find a way to make 
can and the offense work on all situations on the field? You want to avoid a spot where Mike has to come in and be the red zone guy. Now, if the, if they can't find, if it just doesn't work and Mike's just so successful in the red zone, then so be it, right? But that's something you want to avoid. You want to have one guy out there all the time. And if Ken gets hurt, then Mike goes out there and controls the offense all of the time. Why did they do that, the Carolina game? Did you ever get an explanation or figure no, figure no, it out? I don't know. I think I, I think it just came down to Wade competed extremely hard and they wanted they wanted him to get some reps too. They didn't know who their guy was. So even though there was that momentum, they were just like, you know, see what Wade can do. And then we saw what Wade and then we saw what happened. And it's one of those things where it might have not even been Wade's fault. I think it was actually two inside zone runs that just got stalled and then he missed a third down he missed a third down and you know that was Wade's chance. It was just they were treating I, – I, I'm personally don't like it when you treat games like practice or when you like, you know, one of those type deals. Like we're out there to win and, you know, just say – just put Kyle out there. And if it's going so bad, then switch it out, you know. But you got to make your choices then. You can't extend fall camp into games. That's at least my personal opinion. But I think that's what they did. They wanted to – you know, they were like, all right, Wade earned a shot. Let's see what Wade does because you don't, you don't want to keep a guy – Wade was super talented. You don't want to keep a guy like Wade, you know, unhappy or not playing. But it, I think it works to the detriment of – it works against like the well-being of the whole team. Well, that provided one of the most Mason press conferences ever because everybody out after the game is thinking I don't the remember same that. thing. I don't, remember, I don't remember that press conference. So oh, well, you, yeah, yeah, I don't know how much attention you paid as a player, but I remember we were in there no, and somebody, somebody I asked him. <laughs> you were mad, yeah. Somebody, I was so I was. I remember – I don't remember a lot about about like games in my earlier years, but I remember walking off that field. I was probably the most mad I've ever been in my whole life. I was furious. But go ahead. Well, the, the funny thing was you're going to get asked about that Yeah, in yeah, the post-game it, press conference, right? Yeah, 100%. It's the biggest question. It's and, the story. And so you're going to – you know, you, you would think that you would have an explanation ready, and he just kind of stammered through it and said something about Wade being their running quarterback. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you don't not- you don't even know why you just did what you did. Um and of course well knew had been to practice. Wade Freeback was not their running qu- quarterback. Lo and behold, Wade Freeback did not come in to be their running quarterback the rest of the season. But that was just one of those moments like how he could run better than Kyle, that's true, but he well, has, yeah. he's not a runner. He has a cannon arm. That's why you played. Yeah, I I I can I can outrun my 7-year-old, but I don't know that you want me as your <laughs> running quarterback. But um yeah, I mean, my my, my point that that bad. I didn't mean to to bash Kyle like that. I think he was a very good quarterback, but th- oh, that was just that. one of those moments. I'm like, how can you, as a head coach in the SEC, be, be, have an answer like that, or or not have a better? I mean, I've, I've said this openly yeah. too. Mason was learning on the on me guys like me and Mace. That's why I think we got along pretty well is because we were both learning our jobs on the fly. I think it was no secret. He was learning how to be a head coach on the fly. You know, he really probably wasn't prepared for it. He turned out to, you know, have a successful season here and there. And then he couldn't. And then it was one of those things. Well, how do you, you know, when you get to the down years, how do you respond and how do you react and how do it was just one of those things where I think he was learning the job on the fly and he didn't, you know, he wasn't prepared. It just wasn't, it just all kind of came came too fast for the guy, I think. I'm just going to call this and, and make it a rule. If you are making seven figures in a management-type job, then um, you you probably should not be learning on the job. That's probably your first clue. You've hired the wrong guy. But anyway, um, Bruno, anything else? I, I think I've pretty much run the gauntlet of stuff related to the spring game. I'm just curious if there's anything else that stood out to you that we didn't get into. 
Yeah, I would just, I guess, an overarching statement of the whole thing. I would say just don't be too doom and gloom on it. Like, you know, I, I made a tweet. It was like, you know, is the defense terrible or is the offense really good? Right. We won't know until this until the fall. I mean, what we saw was also a very limited playbook. I remember one reply was like, we saw the RPO, you know, the zone RPO run like 30 times, right? Which is probably half of the reps they took in that game as an offense. And you're going to see it a lot in the fall, but there's going to be so much more diversity from a defensive and offensive standpoint. I mean, I'm sure the defense is going to, you know, have extra packages where they break into, you know, from four to three to five man down fronts, um, depending on depth, obviously it's going to all come down to personnel. Uh, we're going to have new cats come into the fold, um, trying to make a statement for themselves, trying to play. Uh, the spring is at the end of the day practice and in some of our worst weeks of practice, we went out there and performed the best. And some of our best weeks of practice, we went out there and performed the worst. You can't just get – practice is a good measuring tape, and it's good to see. But we will not know how the team does until they hit the grass on that first game, Chris. So that's just something to you know keep, keep in mind. Hey, Bruno, thanks for checking in with us today. And uh, we'll catch you again back when when we get into football season i'm sure we'll do it between now and then but uh really enjoyed sitting with you in the press box at the spring game and looking forward to what you're going to be bringing to us during football season yeah i appreciate it guys you know obviously i'm i'm all over the place i I, I'm running the judo club and, you know, right after the games, you know, typically I have to go somewhere for like, I remember it was after the spring game. I think we, me and my dad, you know, took a seven hour drive to Missouri. So I try to answer all the questions I can before I crash or pass out. It's my turn to drive type deal. So thanks for, you know, being patient with me on that end too. It's hey, been a lot of fun and yeah. I look forward to keep doing it. That's, that's life in sports media these days. I'm running two sites, doing two podcasts and just, Trying to, to trying to keep all the balls in the air these days. So Yeah, I don't mind it too much. It's not that big a deal. You just got to kind of take it day by day. All right. He's Bruno Reagan. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll be back with more episodes next week.